Hey guys, happy Monday. I know we don't normally hear from men, but this was a case in which I decided to make an exception. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is Kindled, a podcast where women share stories of motherhood, work, and the grace we need for both. This conversation is going to leave you inspired to live into who you are, to love people well, and to create a lifestyle that aligns with and pursues the thing or person you most desire. In this conversation with Rocky, we explore humanity through his personal identity mapping intensive, which is an examination of how and why people do the things that they do. Ladies, this is one you're going to want to bring your husband into and have him listen to. I mean, feel free to listen to it first by yourself, but I guarantee there's nuggets of wisdom and truth in here for any person, regardless of gender. All right, here's my conversation with Rocky. So Rocky, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Kindled. Absolutely. Uh, Can you give everyone a little bit of a primer on who you are and what you do? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Rocky Garza. <clears throat> I am married to my wife, Sarah. We've been married for almost nine and a half years and we have two kids. We have a almost three-year-old little boy. He'll be three next Tuesday. And we have a eight week old little girl. Her oh. name is Marlo May. Wow. Um, and so currently that is what our life looks like. We're both um, self-employed. We've been entrepreneurs for the last probably almost nine years. And so, um, yeah, our day are spent um, in some mixture of trying to figure out how to be married, try to figure out how to have children, try to figure out how to be parents, mm-hmm. try to figure out how to be intentional and all, all of that, um, plus every other place that we have committed our time, mm-hmm. and also doing enough work that people will pay you so you can pay your bills, <clears throat> because come to find out, people don't send you just because they like you. <laughs> so that's uh, kind of how I spend my time. Um, now, I... I am a self-described people expert. That's what I, at least that's what my title is. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's probably a terrible title, but um, it's just because I don't know what else to call myself. I spend probably about a third of my time doing keynote speaking and workshops for either conferences, leadership development, corporate conferences, retreats, that sort of thing. Uh, I spend about a third of my time working directly with teams and organizations to help them figure out as individuals and collectively as, as teams, who they are, why that matters, what that means and how to be most effective and efficient as individuals. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the other third of my time is spent um, working with individuals one-on-one. So I have a process I created called identity mapping. And, uh, so I take folks through that. It's four hour process, you and me one-on-one, and then people can either sign up for coaching or follow up or something, some piece after that. Uh, my wife and I um, attend a church here in Oak Cliff. And so we had led a home group for about three and a half years. And we recently passed leadership off to some other couple. And now um, I am a home group's coach. So me and one other person, we kind of facilitate the development leadership of all of our home group leaders at our church. Uh, my wife and I and one other lady are the PTA presidents for my son's school this year. So we spend a chunk of our time doing that. Wow. And then we work uh, here at a place in Oak Cliff as a co-working space. And we have an office in this bigger building. So we spend some time up here and dedicated to the folks that are here and wow. working with them. So I don't really know what you call that or what my, my title should be, but that's, yeah. that's how I spend my time. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I was thinking yeah. when you were saying that about your title, I heard a, have you ever listened to the podcast on um, how I built this? Yes. Okay. There was um, an episode with, who was it? I think the founder of Tom's Shoes, which I don't remember his name, but he 
said that um, he didn't care about titles. He basically just wanted him and his entire team to have a title that enabled them to do their job. So whatever title allowed them or enabled or or empowered them to do their job well, he would give them that title. So even if it was like, you know, a title that kind of was, was bigger than what they actually did in the office, he was like, that's for exterior facing. And so I just always think of that when I think about titles or self-proclaimed titles, it's like, it's an exterior facing thing. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what you actually do, you know? So Side note, but I just yeah, thought that was yeah, interesting. No, no, and I think and I think a lot of time, like the reason that's the case is because unfortunately we live in a society where we have created our our basis of our identity on the question, hey, I'm Rocky. Hey, I'm Haley, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. And the very next question out of our mouth mm-hmm. is, what do you do? And then all of us, like 100% of us, you and me both, based on what someone says in that moment, we make a snap judgment on whether or not you are or are not valuable to me. And if you are, then I lean in and go, oh, tell me about that. And by valuable meaning, I think I can sell you something, right? Or you can help me get ahead some way. Right. Or if you're not valuable, me, I go, cool, cool, that's awesome. Anyway, I'm going to grab a drink. It was great to meet you. And so, like, we we like we like live right. in a place where we created this atmosphere where, like, based on what comes out of my mouth is how you're going to assess whether or not I'm valuable. My identity is, and I think then we do this like weird detriment and good and bad to all these places. It's like it's one reason. Like, it's like pet peeve is not the right word, but why it's something for me that I feel really strongly about is like when I hear someone say where that conversation comes up and then I hear specifically a mom say, Oh, like I'm just a stay at home mom. I'm always like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You're mm-hmm. first of all, there is no just in any of that. Second of all, you have chosen to be at home in order to provide your family with the opportunity to pursue like th- there is so much un- in that. But again, like that has even been suppressed. Like, Oh no, like I'm just like, that's just, that's just all I do with like 21 hours of them my day yeah. that I am awake trying to keep children alive and keep our home together and feed them. And like, there's, why not, why not that? Right. Like, why can't we unpack it that way? And so, yeah, titles, I'm, I am with you. Titles for me are a difficult thing because that's kind of where yeah. from the identity mapping perspective, there's one part of it is we come up with what we call identifiers. So it's three words that we use to describe what we do from a 30,000 foot level. And for me, that's a much clearer descriptor of who we are than talking about our job title. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I want to get into identity mapping. Um, but first I have to ask you, you mentioned that both of both you and your wife work and are entrepreneurs. So what does, what does your wife do? Yeah. So my wife is a photographer and uh, an interior designer and, um, a mother and a wife and a friend. And so, um, we actually started our entrepreneur journey, um, actually as wedding photographers back in 2010. And then we did that together for um, quite a few years, and then we found out we were pregnant with our son, um, is when I started doing this and, um, she still did photography, but was doing, uh, she has a company called mama love. And so she does, um, portraits, but moms and kids. And then, um, a lot, so she kind of like does the birth. She loves doing birth photography. So birth, and then oh, a little bit of newborn, but not the traditional, like hanging in the basket, um, with bodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. more like lifestyle, just at home with the family. Um, and then about six months ago, she started the interior design company. So that's what she did in the very beginning when she um, pursued photography for the first time, she actually had been an architect and interior designer. And so now she does, uh, interior design. So she does residential, uh, interiors and some small commercial interiors for herself. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, she sounds a lot like me with like multi-passionate interests, like all kinds of little, you know, businesses going on. Um, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's really fun. It's really fun. And we actually have a house, um, about an hour outside of Dallas that we operate on Airbnb as well. It's called the wild house. So she's the kind of the main manager of, of doing that as well. 
So cool. Yeah. yeah. I saw that and glanced at a couple of photos. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's Thank really you. Cool. Yeah. That's uh, that's all her. I just do whatever she tells me to do. So yeah. anything that looks good is, <laughs> and I have zero credit for that is 100% my wife. Uh, I just, I go where she tells me and does what, and does what she try to do what she says. Cause she knows what she's doing. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to have her on next yeah, to hear about sure. all of her businesses. Sure. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I first heard you talk about identity mapping actually on a live stream Instagram video with Jen Jet yeah. because I know you went to, what was her conference called that she had? Uh, Campwell. Campwell. That's right. Which I desperately wanted to go to. It just wasn't going to work out this past summer, but I'm hoping that in the future, maybe I'll snag, snag a trip to that uh, in the future. But I, I heard you talk a little bit about it, but I have completely lost what I, I don't remember what you said. And so I'm starting where everybody else is with this whole thing and don't really understand what it is. So I would love for you to just kind of take us through however makes the most sense to you and, and, what you, however you want to explain that and kind of walk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I, can I go back a little bit and just like a little bit of preface for like how I landed here and why it's important. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Okay. Okay, Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so I, my life was kind of crazy growing up. Um, I, I moved a bunch. My parents got divorced when I was young. Uh, when I was two, my dad got remarried when I was seven, still married, um, and has two boys. So I have two half brothers went to about 13 schools before I graduated from high school. So I, I lived in a suburb of North Dallas when I started kindergarten and then moved back closer to Dallas to finish kindergarten and San Antonio for first and second, the other side of San Antonio for half a third, back to Farmer's Branch for fourth, Carrollton for fifth, Briscoe for sixth, Farmer's Branch for seventh. Um, and then I moved in with my grandparents then. So I could, all during that time was like a ton and ton of just uh, change. And um, my grandparents' house was always a safe place to go back to. But for me, like my my MO for survival. Like I think looking back in my life and my ability to put pieces of the puzzle together to begin to see how I was um, kind of formed into who I am now, a huge portion of that I think was because of the fact that I moved so much. Um, it gave way to me. I'm a big proponent of kind of whatever happens to us between the ages of six and 12 is a pretty good indicator of how we operate as an adult. So like whatever we had to do to get by in that time frame is a really, is a really clear picture of how we get by now. Right. It's like, it's why we can say things like, Oh my gosh, you're such a middle child. Well, it's, it's not because they're the same. It's just because their experience as a middle child between the ages of six and 12 is mostly the same for all middle children between the ages of six and 12, right? So like, that's why there's those tendencies behind those kind of things. And so as like, I started looking back at myself and looking through those things, I think one thing I've always had a desire for and a passion for is um, one, I think making a connection with people Two, I think the ability to create a connection quickly that and not in a manipulative way. Now I have a portion of my life like that, but that's not what I mean now. How do I kind of leverage that connection in a way to create an environment that allows for freedom and vulnerability and empathy and, and, and change where it's not just about what you and I will gain, but it's about the collective thing we can build together. So um, I even think, you know, so I, I graduated, my life was crazy and um, ended up losing the scholarship in college and my life fell apart and um, ended up going to this place called Sky Ranch in East Texas and working there as a counselor. It's a Christian summer camp for kids. And, I uh, should not have worked there. I should not have been in charge of children or teaching them about the Bible or I was a disaster, but no one died. So that's good. <laughs> but I ended up going back there full time and working uh, in 2005 um, as a full time staff for about three and a half years. And during that time, I met someone and got engaged. And then she was on camp at leadership with me. And then come to find out, she was like living this double life and told me on the phone over after we had our engagement photos taken that like she was sleeping with somebody. And then her mom wanted me to know. And then now that I knew, she now mm-hmm. she would not. It was a crazy story. So 
like that was kind of like big moment number two is like, Oh my gosh, like I lived a portion of my life being super selfish and that fell apart. They lived a portion of my life being like the ultimate martyr and super sacrificial guy and that fell apart. And so I kind of think I came to a place when I moved back to Dallas, I was on pastoral staff at a church for a few years. Um, I saw my, my wife, Sarah. And so the reason I say all that one is because I think that gives a lot of context to where I am now and who I am now. Like I I've lived these two sides. And so for me, there's, there's two statements that I think everybody has to make at the same time, in the same breath. And this is actually the thing that you and I got you and I connected. Cause this is the thing that, um, Kelly quoted whenever she was on your, on your show last. But so to me, there, there's two things we have to say at the same time, in the same breath, if we want to find any kind of freedom, right? And so like statement number one is that I'm wildly unique and extraordinary. And there's no one in the world like me. And so like, I believe fundamentally in my soul, in my core it is impossible for there to be another human being like you it, identical twins shouldn't be called identical. They should be called similar twins because they're not, they're not identical. There's it's, it's impossible for there to be anyone like you. Right. And so I think that mm-hmm. exists on one side. And I think the other statement though, is same time, same breath is I am 100% regular meaning that I'm no more and no less valuable than any other human being on earth. Like there's an equality of value of human beings that we carry that not when we are performing, but when we are still, we are idle, we are resting, we are in solace. Like my weight and my value is, is the same there as it is when I'm performing at my highest level and compared to anybody else. So I think mm-hmm. I found like when there's a, it's not either one, like I've lived my life on both sides. I lived 21 years trying to be the, the most charismatic, the most smoothy, persuasive, manipulative, performing. Like I've, I've, I've done that and it didn't work. And then I lived a portion of my life, like doing the other, like believing that I was so regular that I was actually less valuable than everybody else. And so like, mm-hmm. I lived a large portion of my life believing that and like that doesn't work either. And so I think I began to come to a place post um, being a wedding photographer, um, post being in counseling for a few years, post, post finding good biblical community, post figuring and finding friends that like, we're going to be dedicated to calling me out and having real conversations. Like all of these things happen at the same time was a moment for me to go there. There has to be a space where we can create the opportunity for people to experience clarity in who they are. Once their clarity exists, there's a freedom to pursue that. And when we pursue that, then potentially we begin to live into who we were created to be, not necessarily just what we were created to do. And so through all of that, after being a wedding photographer and found out we were pregnant with our son, my wife and I were both like, do we, Sarah and I were both like, do we really want to shoot 40 weddings a year for the rest of our life? And both of us were like, no. Mm-hmm. And so like, well, if we could do anything, my wife really just said, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I said, well, then if I could spend my life dedicated to attempting to become an expert in anything, I'd want to become a people expert. Um, and so that's kind of where that name or title came from that we talked about earlier. And so I said, I don't know what that means, what that looks like, but that's how I want to spend my time. And so mm-hmm. um, the creative entrepreneur world was kind of the world I was already in, the world I came from. And so I said, listen, I, well, we've been an entrepreneur for five and a half, six years. Um, every job you and I have ever had prior to this, there's always been some sort of retreat, some sort of staff retreat or development. Or And as an entrepreneur, like that doesn't exist. Like there is no there is no staff retreat when you work by yourself. You're just going to ask yourself questions you don't already know the answer to. Like that doesn't do you any good. Right. And so I said, then I'm going to do that. I want to create a curriculum and a platform to be able to take creative entrepreneurs on a two-day retreat, you and me one-on-one, and let's figure out who you are, why that matters, how to build a brand and a business off of that. And then you commit to six months of coaching with me after that experience. So that was really how this whole thing started was me doing that. So in the first couple of years, I took probably 30 to 40 entrepreneurs on these retreats and um, spent, you know, two two uninterrupted days with them one-on-one and took them this process. And so through that process, identity mapping was born. It was just a really big mess of terrible questions and kind of willed it down to the ones that seemed to be less terrible into a place to where it got, uh, where I, I could see there was beginning to be some traction folks in, in the way the questions were asked, the order they were asked. And really most importantly, the fact that I was asking people to give four hours uninterrupted, no technology, doing nothing but assessing who they were and why that mattered. 
And so from that, I began to say, okay, then what, what is that? And what does that look like? So that, I know that's a lot of backstory, but I feel like the backstory is necessary to see how we got here because I don't, I just don't want anyone to assume one, this is a curriculum I learned, a class I went to, a degree I got, or somehow I think that I have all the answers figured out. And so now I'm going to teach you the answers. It is 100% my attempt to take 35 years of my life experience, eight years of ministry, eight years entrepreneurship, put all those things together and go, how can I help you see and build and live out the thing that me and my family are attempting to do and live out every day? And that every time I talk to someone, it's not because I have it figured out and I'm telling you what to do tomorrow because I did it yesterday. I'm saying, let me help you have clarity so we can see where we are going to go tomorrow and what we are going to do collectively um, because I don't have it figured out either, right? Like it is, an, it is a is a trial and error all the time, but I want to provide a framework you can't it's it's a map is no good when you're in the middle of the forest like a map is only good before you start right and so sometimes some of us need to take a few steps and we need to walk we need to get out of the forest like we need to walk out of the forest go back to the beginning Mm -hmm. and like reassess some of us are at a place that we're ripping and ready to go but we just feel like we're we're paralyzed by the fear to take a step right or left so all that to say that's that's where identity mapping came from now to answer your question you actually asked me that i have not answered yet what identity mapping is. Yeah. Well, actually, before you do that, okay. I want to say something that you, when you were talking about the backstory, I think what you did when you asked your wife, do you want to be shooting 40 weddings a year for the rest of your life is something that a lot of people need to do. It's a, it's a question to actually, to take a step out of your life. Like you said, to take, to get out of the middle of the woods for a second mm-hmm. to go, are we where we want to be? Are these the woods we want to be exploring and traversing and lost in for the next 40 years? That's a really scary question, mm-hmm. actually, because it does mean that you might not be where you want to be. And so you've got to rewind or step back and then take a bigger question and actually risk being somewhere that you don't want to be. But that is the first step to getting to where you want to be. And so I think that was really brave and um, and cool of you guys to to do that at a point where you've got kids, you've got things going on. I mean, you, you're, you're probably doing great with your wedding photography business, but it just wasn't what you were being called to do. And I just think, you know, it's, it's worth noting that that was, that was a big life transition for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. No, I appreciate that. And and I think my, my, my rebuttal that, or that I want to have when you say that to, for folks that are like, Oh man, that could, that's so scary. is like, but is it mm. like, is it like, like, is it really scary? Or have we been told that if we don't have the answers figured out before we've seen the problem, then that's scary. Mm-hmm. Because like, yes, yeah, yes. Was it a, was it a bold move to say we have a, we have a business that generates, you know, $200,000 a year. People pay for us to travel the world and shoot their wedding. We've been in publications. We've been in magazines. <clears throat> we've won awards. Like all the, all the superfluous mm-hmm. stuff that comes with that. Right. Like, great. That's, sure. That's awesome. Yes. We were about to have a child or we just had a child. We'd actually, we just presented the opportunity to buy the wild house. We like, there were all these things happening, but at the same time, like, why am I already supposed to know the answer before any of those things occur mm-hmm. to then be fearful that if I assess where I'm at and it's not where I want to be, like that should be the most freeing and joyful experience I can have. Like, having the answer is not the joy. Having the answer, the fun is over. When the answer occurs, the fun is over. It is now time to go to work. That's not the enjoyable part. Mm-hmm at least from my perspective, like the enjoyable part is going, I have been given the privilege to pause and assess and then make potential changes that I desire in pursuit of the ability to live into who I am, love people well, and create a lifestyle that either, whether it goes with or against what we think societal norms are is irrelevant. Is it the life that you, your, whether it's you by yourself, whether it's you and your spouse, whether it's you and your family, like, mm-hmm. are you pursuing the thing that you believe you desire to pursue 
or are you doing it because you think you're supposed to? Right. Because like, I think if most people really sat down and like, oh, I want to stop doing this. I want to create my own business. I want to like, how much money do you really need every month? Like need, like not, not buy the things that you want and go like, do you need? Because mm-hmm. if you only need, you know, let's say married, no kids. I don't know. I'm making things up. I have no people. So I have no idea of people's personal scenario, but somebody's going to make up numbers for fun. Like if you need $5,000 a month, need $5,000 a month to live, right? That's $60,000 a year. And both of you, you and your spouse, both quit your job. You start something. That means that you're saying that you need to make $30,000 each. That is $2,800 a month. Like, and if you like go down for that, so that's like $700 a week down to like hundred bucks a day. Okay. So like biggest picture, that's not like, that's not that much money. Mm-hmm. And that's not, not, not that you should not, not saying that entrepreneurship is easy by any means there it is yeah. difficult. It is always hard. But I'm just saying like, yes, the, I, I think the idea of asking the question is scarier than when you actually get into it and ask it and do it. Cause I think there is an immense amount of freedom to be found in going, am I willing to pause to assess and say, is this, are we building the thing we want to build? Yeah. Are we walking the direction we want to walk? Forget everything else. I think everybody has ever told me about what I should be doing. What do I, what do we want to do? Not in a selfish way, not in a, right. right? Like not in the, in not in a way that's like, oh, because I want to be great. Everybody will love me. And, and you know, I have a, a thousand followers. Like, no, that's irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. I did that. I did that this, well, I've been in that process of what you're saying, kind of like really asking if that, if I'm where I want to be started about a year ago. Cause I had a business that I just sold this summer. And, and it started with that question of like, if, if I continue on the path I'm on for five years, where do I end up? And 10 years. Is it somewhere that I actually want to be? And when I asked that question with the business that I was running, it was also a bridal industry business, making bridal accessories. The answer was no, I just, I'm not passionate about this anymore. I don't want to be doing this. I want to be, you know, speaking to women and encouraging people and and using what I, my experiences and sort of similar to you of taking this kind of mixture of experiences from the last 10 years of my life and using that for good and just you know, speaking into people's lives in, in that, in a totally different context than making their bridal accessories for their wedding day. And, and it led me ultimately to selling the business in June. And I was on a podcast recently and they, the hosts interviewed me about this whole thing of selling a business. And it was more business focused entrepreneurship kind of than, than even spiritual or anything like that. But they were like, well, how come, how come if you knew it could grow and it was profitable, why weren't you the one to take it and do that and like keep growing and building the business? Why didn't you take it? Didn't you think you could have done that? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I could have, I could have been the one to do that, but I, that wasn't what I wanted. And it wasn't like, I, I knew at a core level that wasn't what God had for me. It was, if I would have done that, I think it would have been, I would have been living in disobedience to what my conviction for my own life was. And and I think that's something that's so personal. We can only know what that is for ourselves a lot of times because it wasn't immoral if I wanted, you know, there's nothing immoral about me continuing to run that business. But for me, it would have been living in disobedience because I did have to step into a place of complete unknown of what the next thing would be then, you know, like I, I had some idea, but I, there was no, I was walking in the dark and kind of still am, you know, like what, what is that actually going to look like? And, and I, I identify a lot with what you said, like, is it that scary? Because at the outset, I did feel like it was super scary, but the more I got into something that more aligned with who I really am and what I really feel like is my, my gift, my calling, like aligns with me, the less and less scary it's become. It's like, no matter what this looks like, it's more aligned with, with who I am. And it's not kind of flying in the face of everything that, that God has given me and, and made, made part of me. So I, I definitely get that. 
Yeah. And I think there's something you said there. So you, you, in a, in a lot of the statements that you made where you found confidence, I think it was because whether it was, whether it was hundred percent or not, let's call it 70, there was 75, 70% mm-hmm. clarity about who you were. And that gave way to your ability to choose though. So like, right. so if you're listening to this, I want, and you have a pen or paper or you're in your car, if you're in your car, don't do this because you're driving. So be safe. But if you're at home or you're on your computer, like, and this just hit my, I just wrote this down while you were talking, but it's so like, you use the word like, but did it, did it align with my convictions about to continue to do pursue and grow that business? Right. So like, let's say that ultimate conviction. So write that word down. Conviction is number one. So then that, well, what leads to a conviction? Well, the thing that leads to a conviction is, is a, is a belief. Mm-hmm. So something that we believe that we, that we know, right. So belief is next. So belief could get in the way of conviction. So you had that. And then un- underneath belief, then write truth. Cause the truth is ultimately the thing that leads to a belief and the belief to a conviction, right. We work our way up, but then underneath truth, write The word lie because a lie can inhibit our truth. And then underneath lie, you have to write like an assessment, a knowledge, understanding. So like mm-hmm. just in you talking, like to me, like that's how it broke down. Mm-hmm. You were already at conviction. So like it's very, it's much easier to like choose a right or left decision when we know what our conviction is. Mm-hmm. I do think though, there are a lot of us and by a lot of us, I mean, unless you have taken the time to do deep assessment work, 100% of us, we have to go all the way down to the bottom and do the assessment aspect yeah. first. To me, that's what identity mapping is. Identity mapping is step one. It's just the assessment to go, what are the things that exist? And in order for me to assess, most likely I'm going to identify lies. And if I identify the lies, then I can then understand the truth. And if I can understand the truth, then I actually know what I believe. And when I know what I believe, therefore I can build a conviction. And when I build a conviction, now I have the ability to make a decision that allows me to move in a, di- in a direction I didn't think I could before, but we're, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, we're five. That's, I mean, that's, we're five steps later. Yeah. So I think I, so, you know, to come back around now, cause I guess now it's a little bit, cause I don't people think I'm a jerk or that somehow I think that your fear and feelings are not valid. It's not that it's that there's, there's just a lot of steps no, in no. between. Yeah. And right. And like most of us, most of us don't, don't go to the place that says yeah. before I assess, is that what I want to be doing? Let me assess. Do I understand who I am? Yes. Because I can't be the husband I want to be if I don't if, if, if I don't know who I am. I can't be the father that I want to be if I don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't be to be. It's not going to work. Right? And like no, like I I wear a hat a lot of the times. Like no pun intended. Like I want to have one hat. Like I want to be I want to be Rocky Garza everywhere. I want my wife to get that, my son to get that. I want you to get that, the audience to get that, a client to get that. I, I am I am this intense all the time. It is not just not a show. It's not the party. It's not turned off. Like I don't know how to not be this right. Yeah. But it's because like, I've done the work to go, like I've w- wasted part of my life attempting to prove to you that I was valuable because I thought you would like me mm-hmm. and it was to no avail. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've lived a portion of my marriage trying to do everything I could to protect my wife and keep her from feeling anything negative. And inevitably that is called codependency. And I've tried really hard to be everything my child needs them to be and how my children need them to be. And I neglected myself and I didn't work out and I became out of shape and I was overweight and I didn't feel good. And I was lazy because I was so afraid to give up time because what if I let them down? Mm. Well, all, that's, that had nothing to do with any of those people. Yeah. All of that had to do with the fact like I wasn't clear about who I was and the lies that I was believing so that I could find the truth in that thing so that I knew what I believed so I could find a conviction so I could create a non-negotiable to say, this is how I want to live my life and I'm going to be unapologetic about it. Yeah. Preach. I love it. That's, that's so true. And you're right about that assessment because and I never really connected the dots the way you just did with conviction, belief, truth, lie, assessment. And I did write those words down. I, I've never really seen them as sort of that stair step, that ladder of, you know, you, you kind of have to have one before you get the next. You don't just come to a conviction. And that's why we can't strong arm people to just knowing what they want or knowing what to do with their lives. You've got to actually 
let them kind of go through that process of discovery themselves. And, and that's what you do. You have a, you have a way to do that. Um, and, and I kind of, I think the trigger for me, well, I know the trigger for me was a church conference where we actually all took the Enneagram and it was a, a church leadership deal. And so we, everybody who was in small group leadership or elders or whatever took the Enneagram, you, you know, we had these two, um, speakers who wrote a book on it, come and talk to us about uh, ourselves and what our type meant and all this stuff. And, that, I mean, one, I had never heard of the Enneagram, so I didn't know anything. So for me, it was all just fresh knowledge and information about myself and understanding myself. And it was actually during a moment of worship at that conference that the Holy Spirit said to me, you are not your work. And, and I'm a three on the Enneagram, Enneagram so yeah. achiever and all about yeah. just like, what, I, what can I produce? How much can I do? It's all about, you know, success and just getting ahead. And for me to hear, I am not my work after I was understanding this is what drives me, like broke down all of my perceptions of what I thought I needed to do in this life to be loved by God or by mm-hmm. people. And it was honestly just, that was the very, I mean, I can point to the exact moment that I knew this changes everything. This changes everything about my life, everything about my work. And that's when I started asking, do I even like what I'm doing? Do I even like the business I'm in? Or do I like what my life looks like? And the answer was no, I didn't. And it was just really crazy how, you know, to me, I'm like, wow, I had this breakthrough moment at this church conference that I never expected to happen. But now that you're explaining this to me, I'm like, this makes so much sense because that was the assessment. It was the first step. So yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a beauty in what you described in the fact that you were extremely fortunate. I think God was extremely gracious to you. And the fact that when you had that moment, you already had clarity about who you were. Mm -hmm. So then talking about what you did made sense. And I think for a lot of people, for me, at least that's why identity mapping is so vital because I don't know that all of us have to have had the clarity that you just described that in the moment where God breaks us and says, Hey, that is, you are not your work and you will not be defined by your performance. You will not be defined by your hands. Mm -hmm. Most of us go, I don't know. I have no context of who I am without my hands because that's the only thing I've ever given to people. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I think at least, I mean, I know very little, but I can hear it in your story. There was a moment where you had that and you were like, no, I know who I am and it's not that and it's not work. And so I want to take me and go do this. I mean, it was an unfolding. So I, I, sure, yeah, sure, I sure, should, sure, yeah. I should yeah. be realistic. It wasn't like, okay, I, I, the very second I did this, I knew exactly what I was being called to do. It was, no, 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 totally, totally. Yeah. That's, uh, that's super helpful. So, so how do you, how do you help people with this assessment piece? And, and that's, I know that's kind of like the, the meat of what you do, right. Um, yeah, is, is yeah. this mapping process. So what does that look like and how does that unfold? Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's, I'll take you through what it looks like. If anyone who's listening to this were to hire me, you were to come and spend four hours with me uninterrupted in my office. So, here, you know, here's kind of what we do. You come in, we sit down, I spend the first 20 or so minutes and I give you my whole spiel about my life from where I, the day I was born until today, how I got here and everything that I can think of to tell you that's happened in my life between now and then. So that's multifold. So one is, I want you to be a little overwhelmed to be like, my God, what, is there anything he didn't tell me? So I want you to have a little bit of that feeling. Two, I want the first chunk of it to be me cr- attempting to create a space of vulnerability. Now I'm going to define that. My definition, I'm stealing a part of it from Brene Brown because she's much more brilliant at vulnerability than I am, but she defines vulnerability and I steal part of her definition is that it's creating the opportunity to see and be seen by others. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to create an environment where you dump it on the table for me to see. That's called unhealthy. You should go to counseling. I'm not a counselor. It's not what I do. But I do want to create a space where you can see, see and be seen by others, where mm-hmm. I want to create a space the first 20 minutes. I want you to see me for me. I'm just a regular dude, average human being, And I want you to know that you can show me that part of you and it's okay. 
And so after that, we, I say, so now tell me about you. And I let people do whatever they want. And some people are like, tell me you about me. I, I can't do what you just did. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I asked you. I said, I just want you to tell me about you. And so mm-hmm. some people start at birth. Some people kind of scatter all over again. That's just my way to like gather information about you, hear your story hear pick up on pieces. And really from people hear the thing that comes in their mind and then what they feel like is the most important stuff to tell me. It usually carries a lot of weight, whether it's in a, and, and whether it's actually important stuff or not is irrelevant. It is important to them in that moment. So I want to hear what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, then we jump in our first section. Uh, we, they, everybody answers four questions for me. And so they write these answers down and then we talk through them. Um, the first four questions everybody answers are number one, what do you think about the most? So where do you spend the majority of your brain power? Just as a, and as a human, every question is as a human being, these, whether, even if it's corporate, if it's personal, professional entrepreneur, these are all human questions, not business questions. So one, what do you think about the most? So where do you spend the majority of your brain power? Question number two, what three things in life do you fear losing most? Um, depending on who the person is, I tell them, Hey, you can take the word losing out and just say, all right, what are the three things in life you fear most? However you want to answer it. Question number three, if you could do two things the rest of your life and be totally satisfied, what will those two things be? So no rules, no restrictions. You have all the money in the world. You could, but you could just do two things and be satisfied. What are those two things? Mm-hmm. And then question four is what is one thing you hope to accomplish in life? So it's not the one thing, just what is one thing in life you hope to accomplish? And it's not a bucket list question. Skydiving is not what I'm looking for. I'm good. And, and if you're, and if you're a believer living a life that's glorifying to God, I'm also not looking for that either. Cause that's a, that's a cop out answer. I'm looking like, what is one thing you hope to accomplish personally in your life? And so we start with those, everybody answers those. And then once they answer, we talk through each one. And so for me, what I'm looking for is you basically tell me four things. You break down your thoughts, fears, hopes, and dreams. Inside thoughts, fears, hopes, and dreams is when we're understanding fear, doubt, obstacle, insecurity, um, desires, passions, all those things live inside those four questions. And so I want to just begin to unpack and unravel that. Cause if you tell me the thing you think about most is what you're going to eat next, not because you're hungry or poor, but because food dictates your life. That's a huge thing. If you tell me my to-do list, what I have to do next, that's a huge thing. If you tell me my future, the uncertainty and what I did in the past to mess it up, that's a huge thing. So like I'm listening for what you're saying. I am also listening for the category of thing you are talking about that you say you think about most. And so all those four questions just give me in the moment, I say they give me ammunition. That's kind of an aggressive word, but it gives me ways to like put things together to begin to see and unpack who you are. We typically will spend a, an hour to an hour and a half on those four questions. So we spend a, a third of our time doing that because if, if for even for those that are listening, like when is the last time that you asked yourself those four questions uninterrupted and gave yourself time to answer and had a really clear answer about them and weren't interrupted by anything, not your, not your spouse or not your kids or not your job or not your phone or not Instagram or not a message or a notification or your watch or like, When's the never. last time you just hit the never, right? And so like that, that alone, like we just won. Like you gave me 90 minutes assessing you and talking about you. It's we've, we're, we're winning. Like it's game over. It's already, it's already. So, so we do that first because it gives me a clarity on those. And I, and again, I want to help people see typically in that section is where all of our fear and insecurity and doubt comes from. And so that's where we really dig in to go. Okay. I hear you saying this, but I believe that is a lie. I believe this part is the truth. So I want you to write that down. So we do a lot of digging, uncovering and um, trying to recoup some truth Mm -hmm. during that time together. Uh, Because what's happening is I think there's two, I think there are two narratives at play in our life at all times that create truths in our life, lowercase t truths. So not biblical truths, but truths like things we just believe, whether they're true or not is irrelevant. They're things we believe. And so I think there's two narratives at play. One of them is the narrative that we have been told about us to us. So that's the things that people have told us in our life our whole time. Rocky, you're so intense. You're funny. You're so, you're so silly. You're, you're too emotional. You're too aggressive. You're too dominant. Oh man, I'm so intimidated. So things that have been told to us about us our whole life. So that's mm-hmm. narrative number one. Narrative number two is the things we tell ourselves about ourselves. 
That's narrative number two. So that's the story inside of our head. Rocky, you are aggressive. Rocky, people don't like you. They don't care about you. You're so you're too intense. You're anytime there is an intersection between the narrative that we have been told about us and the narrative we tell ourselves. I believe there's a lowercase t truth. There is something that we now believe that exists that is real, whether it is real or not, it's irrelevant. We believe it, it does. Mm -hmm. And so for me, those four questions allow me to start to do that without me telling them that's what we're doing. I'm gathering from them. Hey, tell me what you're, what are they saying? What if people told you about what if people told, what do you think about you? And what do you see about you? Okay. I see this intersection. And I believe that is not true. You are valuable. That is not real. So you're going to go to your truth page and you're going to, we have a truth page in our booklet. You're going to go to your truth page and you're going to write that down that I am valuable and worthy regardless of my ability to perform at my job or what fill in the gap of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that then <clears throat> sets a precedent for people as we look at our next three sections. Now they can see things a little bit more clearly where there's clarity, there's freedom, where there's freedom, there's opportunity. And so I want to be able to help people navigate that space. So we do that section first. That's the first four things that we do. After we do that, then we jump into core values. So um, we define core values or the why we do what we do. Um, it's a simple list. I have a list of about 50 words. People choose, put them in, pick five, put them in order. Things like loving, caring, appreciation, vulnerability, individuality, generosity. That's the kind of list of words it is. Um, you look at that list, you pick five and then you define them. And so if we talk about core values, we say they're the why you do what you do. They're the reason, intention, motivation behind everything you choose. Um, we don't come up with core values that day. You, you've had them your whole life. I'm just asking you to name them, right? So once they are named, then we begin to talk about them in a way that says, how are these things have an effect on what you're choosing to do every day? And so the reality is every decision we make comes from one of those five words, or it comes from the opposite of one of those five words because of fear and pride and us trying to make somebody else happy. So we jeopardize what we believe in order to please somebody else. And then we feel convicted, right? That's, that's why work-life balance, work-life balance is a joke. It doesn't exist. It's dumb. It does. It's not real. When we feel out of balance, it is because we have jeopardized what we value most out of fear and pride. It is, I say, I value vulnerability and generosity and individuality, yet I'm forced to be at a job that doesn't foster those things. So I feel like I'm working too much and I feel like I don't have a good balance. Well, no, you just feel like you're jeopardizing what you believe in in order to please somebody else or for a paycheck or for a fill in the blank of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe there's a better set of information that I can have about someone to help assess who they are, what drives them, what motivates them, what they're, how they want to be affirmed, how they want to be loved and how to get under their skin and push their buttons as easily as I can knowing their five core values. And so for me, like it's a really great set of information. I think, you know, without getting too much into it, I think 90 plus percent of relational conflict is based on values, barring that it's not intentionally harmful or malicious. Like that's a totally different category. Most conflict between me and my wife is not about, we are never fighting about what happened. We are always fighting about how it made us feel. Always. Right. 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 Like, yeah. And so I want, again, we use values for that same thing. Part of our, I obviously, I obviously have five values. My poor wife, she has no chance not to have gone through the exercise. So she has five values. Um, and then we collectively as a family, we have five values that we came up with for our family that are the basis of how we make decisions collectively. So it should never be me against Sarah or Sarah against me. It should always be us against the world. So we have, a, we have five values in our family. So when it comes to buying a travel trailer, selling a house, moving, starting a business, buying a wild house, having people over, how we spend our money, all of that gets filtered through our five family values. Because if it doesn't give us a chance to be adventurous and generous and loving and kind, then the answer is no. It doesn't matter how much we want to do it. If we can't do those things, the answer is no. I want to create that same filter for people. 
That's really cool. So I'm curious what, what the values could look like, cause I've never been through this process, but would you want to share what your five family values are? And so people can kind of understand like what that would look like. Yeah. So, I'll, um, so one, if you want to know, you can go to rockygarza.com slash values with an S it's plural. That's the list of values that I use for the exercise. So that's mm-hmm. free. Go look at it, take yourself through it. It's, um, it's there for you. So rockygarza.com slash values. I'll, I'll tell you my personal five values. I think that'll be easier for me to communicate. So, okay. um, for me, my, my five core values are vulnerability, individuality, generosity, fearlessness, and trust. And so for me, those are the five drivers, the five, my five highest intentions, my high five values everywhere. So vulnerability being number one. Um, and so those drive all the things I'm choosing to do. Even, even you and I were discussing a little bit earlier um, about identity mapping. I'm potentially going to release identity mapping as a course that anyone in the world can take and online, whatever. Um, for a long time, I didn't do that. And I didn't release as a course because I was so afraid that I was going to be that guy, that I was going to be the, I have a course online. Um, you no longer have to have the face-to-face, the connection, the people part of it. Just pay me money and go through it. If it helps you, great. If it doesn't, no well. And I was so afraid that people were going to think that I had copped out on my what I had said my message was the whole time. And that was what you and I are doing. That's mm-hmm. this communicative, personal, intimate. Like That is the thing that I feel like where all the good work happens. And so I was having a conversation one day with a guy who I didn't even really know when somebody had connected us. And he said to me, he said, Rocky, are you afraid that if you, if this works, if you do it and it helps people, and, and God uses it to help change their life. Like, are you afraid if it is, and if it's successful and if it makes money, right? Like mailbox money, the, the ultimate entrepreneur dream, right? Like if it makes mailbox money, are you afraid that if you get successful, that you are going to become who you used to be before you knew Jesus? And so you are not doing it because you're afraid you're going to become somebody that you used to be. And like, I had this moment where I was like, me not doing identity mapping as a course has nothing to do with the course. It has to do with the fact that I am afraid that if I let things get out of my reign and out of my control, then it's going to get, and what if it gets big? What if it works? What if people love it? What if it makes a crap load of money and, and everyone's into it and it then, and, and then like, what's going to happen to me though? Like, mm-hmm. am I going to become an arrogant, manipulative? I'm going to have money. I'm not going to care about things. I'm going to give up my family. And like, I have all like this whole backstory narrative that's running. Right. Right. Well, then I had to pause and go, okay, well, I want to limit. So, so let me take that story and like, let me run that through my values. Number one. Am I setting myself up to be in a position to be vulnerable, to allow people to see me for who I am, my intention and my desire to help? Well, no, by not having the course, I'm not, I'm hiding. Two, if I actually believe in the value of individuality, am I helping individuals see who they are, why that matters in a way that I believe is effective and can help them? No. Generosity. If there are people who want the help and need the help, and I have ability to do that for a much lower cost than you spending time with me, and you can do it and it creates community in other places, am I being generous? No. Fearless, but nowhere to get that because I was scared out of mind. Two, lastly, mm-hmm. trust. Like, do I trust that I am who I say that I am? And more importantly, do I trust God is who he says that he is? And do I believe him? Mm-hmm. Well, my answer to all of those was no. Like, I'm not being who. So that is a, just one example. But now I'm able to take that and then filter that through all the thing, through that whole scenario. And now it makes perfect. Now I have to do it. It's not a question. Work, not work. I have to do it. Take me and right. PJ, take a personal example. Me and PJ president at my son's school. Like, this is, this is how I PTA president. I'm not, I'm not organized. I'm not an evite email mail chat. That is not my MO. Like thank the praise of the Lord. We have my wife and the other mom who's like, they're really both great at that. I said, I will participate, but if I get to live out these things. So, um, next Thursday on the 25th, we're having our first dads and drinks event. It's an event only for dads of kids who go to the PTA. We're having bourbon. And then I have a list of topics that we're going to talk about collectively as dads. Like so cool. how do you take responsibility for you choosing to be an active parent? 
And what are two or three non-negotiables that are you need to set for your family that you want to make sure your family lives into because it's what you believe. And do you feel like a babysitter or do you feel like a parent? And right, like trying to figure out like how to have this dialogue. Well, I don't care if anybody who's ever been in PT has ever done it before or not. That's not the that's not the point. The point is, if I'm going to be me in that space, this is the only me that I know how. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the, that's for me. Like that's the reason behind the core values because it gives us the ability to do that. Um, yeah. It's that, that, uh, so yeah. helpful. Yeah. So we said yeah, because well, I was just gonna say I think it is really hard to uncover those motivations. It can be hard to uncover the motivations behind why we're doing what we're doing. And so like when you didn't want to launch your course, because you, because all the things you thought, what you were really afraid of was things that were, that flew in the face of those core values. And so, I mean, it, it gives you the peace to know, okay, now not only have I have I totally exposed this as a lie? All the things that I was believing about myself with that narrative that was not a lie. It was not the truth of God. It was either something you had spoken to yourself or someone else had spoken to you and you believed it as truth. It also enables us to be free to walk in the freedom that Christ already purchased. So it's 100%. not like, you know, I mean, that's the whole point is that he purchased that freedom. And, and like it's, uh, what's the gl- verse in Galatians five twenty one? it is for freedom that, that you've been set free. So now walk in freedom as children of the light. I think I'm quoting that right. I don't know, but it is, um, it's amazing how easy it is to walk in darkness and easy it is to walk in, in lies. And even, even being a believer, even being saved, you know, it doesn't mean that you're walking in the light. It, you can, you can be saved and still be walking in darkness. And so I think that's important for people to hear that just because you know God doesn't mean you are walking in the freedom he's purchased. And so I don't know whether they need to go, you know, wait for you to release your course or find somebody, you know, even if they go through something like this, uh, you know, one-on-one with a counselor or whatever. Um, I, I don't know what your advice would be for people, but I think this is probably something that most people have not done and need to do. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I would say, even before you get to core values, like the first thing I would say is like, make you a, get out a piece of paper and make you a T-chart and on one side of it, write What is the story I've been told? What's the story that's been told to me about me? And on the other side, right. What's the story I tell myself, go through the, all the narratives that you can think of that people have told you about you and write all those down. And then I want you to go directly across the next of those and see, is there anything you tell yourself about yourself that matches any one of those? And if there is write all those down and then any place there's intersection, you have to then assess, is this a truth or this a lie? If it's a truth or they're like, okay, you know, my mom said I was loving and caring. I tell myself I'm loving and caring. I am loving and caring. Fantastic. Truth. (laughs) Next one. If it is a, I've been told my whole life that if I don't perform, then I have no value. And if I'm not achieving, then no one loves me. And I tell myself, I got to get some things done, rock on my to-do list. Cause if I don't do that, no one loves me. Pause. Lowercase T. That is something you believe about yourself. That is not true. Now you got to do the work to say, what is the truth of that? What is the peace in that? Because we got to do that first. Then we can get to the values part go, okay, now, because we say core values serve two purposes. They serve as a foundation and a filter, a foundation we build our life on and a filter we can run things through. We got to, we got to know who we are to know what kind of foundation before we can assess that part. And so if I was, if I was going to give some thoughts or advice or what to do, like do that exercise first, make an mm-hmm. assessment, write out your narratives, figure out the truths are, begin to find clarity in the lies, then, then come to a place like this where you can say, okay, now let's start to build on that to uncover some, like some of the depth of what I do know to be true about who I am. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's great. I'm, I am going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's really good. Um, so that's step one is I is um, values. So step two is, uh, we do a strengths assessment. So it's the only outside thing that we use. Um, we use the Gallup strength finders test 
And I use that just because for me, I don't think there is a better assessment of how we operate than using that, that assessment. And so that's the one thing about strengths that if there's anything you get from it, I want people to understand is strengths are not what you do. Strengths are how you do. And so what I mean by that is, you know, if I were to say, you know, Haley, what's one of your strengths? And you say my arms, I say, great arms. You say, yes. And I say, what do you do? You do not say I arms. That mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Right. But we, we, that's how we have been trained to think about our strengths. What is your strength communication? Oh, so what do you do? I communicate. What is your strength strategy? So what do you do? I have to, I have to be, I have to be a strategic job. No, what? No, that's not, that's not what it means. What is your strength right. empathy? So what do you do? I empathize for a living. No, no, you do not. You, that's how you <laughs> live your life. You empathize as a human being. You might think right. strategically as a human being. You might be, uh, you might take charge as a human. So strengths are how we do what we do. Strengths are not what we do. It's how we human. That's the best way I know how to describe strengths or how yeah. we human. Okay. Um, and so for me, that's why I always have the conversation. We get through strengths. My people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what about my weaknesses? I'm like, your weaknesses, you do you really need me to tell you your weaknesses. Like you don't know, <laughs> right. you don't know what your right. weaknesses are. No, you're fully clear. And I think in Barring it's not a character issue. That's different. Okay. A character issue, character issue and a weakness. Those are not the same thing. Character right. issue is you need to get yourself right. A weakness is it is not what you were made to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So knowing that I don't, A, I don't need to tell you your weaknesses. B, why would you spend your life when you are 20% good at something attempting to be 32% good at something when A, you are neglecting the thing you are 95% good at and you are robbing me the opportunity from being 95% good at something you were 30% good at. Like, why are you going to do a crappy job at it just because you think you're supposed to do better when I was made to do that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as like saying yes to something you shouldn't. Every time I say yes to something I wasn't made for, I am neglecting someone the opportunity to live into who they were designed to be because I want fame or a credit or a pat or a praise or a, why can't I just do what I was made to do? Now, that means we have to know what we were made to do, right? Like, we gotta go, we gotta, again, we got to go back to the beginning. But mm-hmm. I am... I am I am not an advocate or a proponent for like figure out your five weaknesses and how to work on and read a book about it. No, you're, you're wasting your time. Why don't you figure out your five strengths and go slay those bad boys and do that every day, everywhere and kill it in the strengths game. Like that's the truest version of you. Are weaknesses true? Yes. But what, why, why leverage that? Why do yeah. that? Why? There was a reason there are people all throughout scripture who had different points that operated in different aspects of the gospel. Some were evangelists. Some were people who came in and broke down barriers so that the evangelists could do their thing. Some were people who came in after the evangelists and said, you need a place to stay. Why don't you stay here? Some were people who said, bro, you can't walk. I will tear the roof off this mother and drop you down to the feet of Jesus if I need to. Right? Mm -hmm. He didn't share Jesus with them. He didn't explain the gospel. He didn't take him through Romans Road. He got a hammer and a hatchet and he tore some up and he dropped his friend down there. And then once he got there, God took care of the rest of it. And I think we take the weight of Jesus and going, I got to do whatever God is doing because he needs me as opposed to going, do what he made me to do for those around me so that he can do the thing that he wants to do. That's not my job. I don't do that. I don't save people. I don't, I don't cure them. I don't heal them. I don't, only Jesus does that. Mm -hmm. But you better believe if there's a place for me to tear some stuff, I'm about to rip it down if that's what it was required. Right. And I want, I, I want us to be able to find those places where we can see who we are and we can have that clarity to go, this is the place for me where it is, it is time to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I can then see clearly where I am and who I am so that I know what my strengths are so that I know how I'm going to do everything. This is how I parent. This is how I husband. This is how I father. This is how I friend. This is how I business. This is how I keynote. This is how I, all of it, same, all of it. There's no, different. I go to bed at night thinking about this. I wake up thinking about it. It's just who I am. And I, I'm in a place in my life now where 
I'm most of the time owning that. I'm most of the time believing that because I understand what I've been given and what to do with that. And I trust that A, God is who he says he is. And B, I was asked this question at church a couple weeks ago and has stuck with me. And our pastor asked, he did this whole sermon at the end. He was like, forget everything I just said. This is the thing I want to ask you. And he was like, do you believe in God or you do you believe God? Like, do you believe in him? Like, oh yeah, he is real and he does these things. Or do you believe him? Like when he says something, do you believe him? Right. Because even, even the demons believe in God. They, they believe in him. They know he's real, you know, but they don't believe him. A hundred percent. And so I think that's for us is going same way. I think God is looking at us going, Hey, like, do you believe in you or do you believe you? Like, do you believe what I said about you? And if so, then you have to look in the mirror and you have to say, you believe the same thing. It can't be like, oh, God loves me and we are cherished children and we are so great and I'm his beloved and uh, he only sees us when he sees me and he, we have a book. And then we go to bed at night thinking that we're terrible, we're terrible mothers, we're terrible wives. We were angry at our kids and we yelled. And so that must mean that we're awful and it's, it, it's ridiculous. And well, what happened like 45 minutes ago when you were on your video chat call and you were going through the names of God and all of a sudden that, you know, Jehovah had just gyrated you something and now all of a sudden you don't know who you are. Like what that doesn't, that can't go, that doesn't go together. Like that doesn't, right. That doesn't fit. So anyway, right. get me off topic here. Haley, keep me on. Topic. No, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a painful truth. And I think you're, you're hitting at it. And even especially, I would say, especially for those of us in any sort of public eye. Now that that's a lot of people because Instagram exists. So even private everyday stay at home moms are now in this public eye where they think, you know, okay, people are evaluating me. They're estimating who I am, what, what I'm doing and what that says about me. And, and I think that this, this concept of vulnerability and empathy that you're talking about has really, um, really serious bearings on what we do in that space. Not, and I'm not just talking about Instagram, but I'm talking about kind of how we live our lives. Like you said, you could be on a video call talking about how great all these characteristics of God are, but then, you know, later beat yourself up because you're a terrible mom, because you yelled at your kids to brush their teeth faster or whatever. I would love to hear from you on that topic. Cause I think it's really the, the whole vulnerability thing is very hard for me, even just to unpack, like, what does it look like to be vulnerable in a way that is helpful and, and empathetic in a way that is genuine versus I'm just trying to somehow be seen a certain way, or I'm trying to put so much out there that, you know, that now people either feel bad for me or think they know, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just, it's a dicey area. And I would love for you to kind of explain how do we do that? Well, how do we be vulnerable without being expose of our lives? And like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So one, uh, I think we have to back up just a little bit to know being honest on Instagram, it does not equate to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Being honest on Instagram is uh, a moment where we have given ourselves the freedom where we say, we don't care what you think about us. Oh, that's it. That's not vulnerability. That's so true. So all we've true. done is all we've done is said, I'm going to share. That's it. Mm-hmm. A moment of freedom. We did that. And all of a sudden we've late now we've labeled that. That's, Oh my gosh, do you follow so-and-so? They're so vulnerable. Mm. vulnerable all they did was say their hair wasn't fixed like wake up wake up like this this is me now like that's not vulnerability that is just right. I, that's just a it's just a statement you woke up like that fantastic so i think we have to like in a way we have to like recoup what vulnerability is and where it actually happens so that it doesn't feel like like the crazy dog who got off the leash and we're afraid it's going to run off and bite somebody right like so I think, and I think, I think two things, I think, I think vulnerability requires two aspects. I think one, I think it requires proximity. 
So I think in order to really be vulnerable, I think there has to be a closeness. And I don't mean in relationship necessarily. I mean proximity in space, proximity in time. I think I think there has to be and there has to be a place where we are willing to say, I am going to lean in and be and be close and stay close. Because I think vulnerability doesn't happen without proximity. Right. Like there's a reason that in my home group. Like we meet every Sunday from three thirty to five thirty. The guys meet every Sunday morning or every Thursday morning at six thirty. The girls meet every Friday morning at six thirty. And I also see them about three days a week at the local coffee shop, right? Like because vulnerability requires proximity. It requires me to be close and stay close for long periods of time. The second part of vulnerability, I think, is it's. I think it's by invitation only. I think it is only by invitation do we have the chance to be vulnerable because we have invited someone in to participate and share with us in that way, mm-hmm. and so. I think when those two things exist, it then creates a space where we can actually have vulnerability, meaning I'm going to allow you to see the parts of me that, that make me susceptible for you to potentially hurt me, right? Because like that's ultimately, like I think that's what we are fearing vulnerability is, is that if I let you see this, you're going to take advantage of me, you hurt me, you're going to exploit it, and I'm gonna be, it's going to be terrible for me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that that's actually the case. I don't know if that's the... I don't know if that's anyone's real intention in creating a space of vulnerability is to do that to us. But I think we've been told that's what's going to happen to us. Um, So in that, I think in order to do that, I think it requires proximity. I think it requires invitation. I think there has to be a mutual understanding that this is what is going to occur here. And two, I think there has to be, uh, there has to be a frequency and a proximity to our interaction and what we're doing so that it gives us the chance to, to create that kind of environment to where we can do that. And so I can, do I think you can create vulnerability at work? Absolutely. Do I think you can create vulnerability at home? Sure. And in your marriage? Yes. And with friends? Yes. And with your children? Yes. Like I think in all those arenas, there can be vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might look a little bit different. It might say different things. It may not be you just like, you know, dumping your things out for everybody all the time. That may not be where it, how it happens, but so I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers yeah, yeah. No, like, your question or not. But. I, I think it does. And I think step one is stop thinking that vulnerability on Instagram equals vulnerability, so, you know, call it something else, call it, uh, you know, whatever you want. But I think that's, that's one of the first steps for people feeling because I mean, as, as silly and shallow and ridiculous as it might sound to say, oh, hey, vulnerability doesn't happen on Instagram. The thing is that a lot of people are living their lives so much online and even their friendships so much online. They're not actually having any real in-person vulnerability ever. And maybe maybe with their husband or maybe with their kids when they mess up. But, um, but that is an epidemic. And I think that we have to be honest with ourselves and say are there really people in my life that are seeing the real me that I am expressing what, what I'm afraid of or what is hard or whatever's going on? Is there anybody in my life who can speak into, or it is speaking into what I'm going through on a very real day-to-day basis. And that looks like either, you know, a mentor or a close friend or a counselor or a pastor or whatever, whoever that is, it's gotta be somebody. But I, I think that, there is just that that's got to be step one. Um, so yeah, I do yeah. think that's helpful. And, and I, I mean, I feel silly even asking the question and making this somehow about social media, but I also realize that especially for moms, because we can tend to be a little isolated in our day to day. Um, you know, even if you are an entrepreneur like me, you're still, I'm, I'm still alone most of the day with my kids or with myself. And, right. um, right. and there's this concept of thinking that somehow if I'm connecting with people online, I'm connecting and that's not, it's no. just not the same. Yeah. It's and not I to say it's, it's not valuable. It's just not the same. 
Yeah. And I think to that, to your specific example, right. To that point that you just gave. Um, and this is a part where if you are a mom and you are listening to this, this is the part where you like, will come back. So remember whatever the time number is, cause you're going to come back and have your husband listen to this part. Okay. Um, if you are a mother who feels this way and you, you agree with this sentiment and there are moments in your life that you think I am alone by myself and I'm with my kids. I don't have connection. I don't have so-and-so Steve doesn't get home from work until six and he's already tired. Yada, yada. So uh, I'm going to speak directly to the husband for a second and not the, not the wife. Number one, the husband should go to bed tired every single day. It is, I believe it is our duty and how we were made that God has designed us and used us to work hard every day and to go to bed tired and you should never be bored. A board, a board man is a dangerous man. That is not how we were designed. Secondly, mm -hmm. if you need time away and you need to go with your friends on a Tuesday night for wine, on a Saturday afternoon for lunch, on a Thursday to the library, talk to Noah. Like, if you need something and you are not communicating that clearly to your husband and your husband is not responding in a way that says, you tell me what you need. I will do everything in my power to make that happen, to give you the opportunity to find freedom, to find clarity, to find solace, to connection with friends. Because I believe when you become who you were designed to be, you will then have the opportunity to love and care for our family the way that you were designed to love and care for our family, including me as your husband. If you are not saying that literally, he does not know you need that. Right. He thinks that you're fine. Like in his mind, he thinks that it is his job to go to work. It is your job to take care of the family. And when the paths cross, if they need to, then great. Just let me know. And if not, then you do you and I'm going to do me and I'll see you when I see you. Right. Because he doesn't know where he is and he doesn't know what his needs are and he's not sharing them. And so if you're a husband, you're listening to this and you're not sharing your needs and you don't have close friends and you're not doing that same thing and going for a beer at two 30 with the work boys, it's not the same as sharing who you are and what the struggles are in your life and what you need and how to be cared for. It's not the same. So don't equate it to be the same. Mm -hmm. I, I think we have created a culture where we hide our needs and we don't share our needs, especially with the people who are closest to us, because for somehow we're doing our best to just try to protect each other all the time. And mm -hmm. so like, you know, I told my, I tell my wife all the time, like, I need you to tell me what you need. We go on a date every Tuesday night and standing on the calendar, no questions. My wife and I go oh, on a date every Tuesday date night. So, um, <laughs> date night. Yeah. So somebody keeps our kids and we go together every Tuesday. So on the early of the month, we go to great places. The end of the month, we go to shitty places because our budget's low. So either way, <laughs> we're going to go out every Tuesday. Um, and in that, there are some Tuesdays that we get together and we literally are tired and we just like literally just sit and look at each other and make up jokes and don't really talk that much and eat food and spend two hours together and go home and put our kids to bed and go to sleep. Like it's not the most romantic. It is not the most in-depth. And there are other times where um, we get together and we sit and have dinner and we talk for three hours about anything and everything. And we dream of where do we want to go? What do we want to do? And I try to make a point to ask myself, my wife, like, how are you? And what do you need? And if she says, I don't know, then I try to come up with three things. I think she needs. If she says, I don't need any of those. I go, okay, well, I don't know how to help you. I don't even know if you want my help, but if you need something, I need you to tell me what you need. Cause making the assumption, I already know I, I'm We're all going to lose. Cause I, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. you need. So yeah. anyway, that's, that's, that's a, great. But I think there's a part of that that comes full circle back to this to go specifically if you're a mom and you're at home and you're listening to this and you feel trapped, you feel isolated, you feel burdened, you don't know where to do, you don't feel like you have any connection. One, it is you, it is just as much your duty and responsibility to make clear what you need as it is to make sure your kids have dinner. It mm -hmm. is, it is of equal, if not greater weight for you to make sure you're doing that. Yeah. Secondly, so good. that being the case for whatever it's worth, I can guarantee you, if you feel weight from social media about what people are, thinking about you i can promise you no one is thinking about you because all of us are sitting around and the only thing we are thinking about is ourselves. 
Yep. When you walk 100%. into a room and you change your clothes five times and you're worried about what to wear and what's going to think of you, what are they going to think? You know who is not looking at you when you walk into a room? Everyone. You know why? Because mm-hmm. everyone in the room is thinking, oh my gosh, what are they thinking about me? Not right. even thinking about anybody else. And I know right. I don't mean that to be like crass. I mean like- No, I get it. Yeah. No, no, nobody. And if, and I've like had this battle and struggle all the like, if I put something on Instagram, am I doing it because I feel like I have a message to share? Or am I doing it because I want you to respond? Because mm-hmm. if I'm putting something up that I already like and enjoy, it's on, it's a photo on my phone. I like it. I took it and I'm only putting it up so that you will also like it and tell me it's okay for me to like it. Mm-hmm. It is a waste of my time. Right. Right. If I am doing it because I like it and I want you to see it. And I think there's something in it that might be in it for you, regardless if you comment that you love it or you comment and tell me that I'm foolish, either one. Yeah. I have to be open to know that's the response. And I'm going to put it out there. And that should be the only reason I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Not for the intent so that you go, Oh my gosh, he's great. Cause what does it matter? You live in Idaho. I'm never going right. to see you. I don't know you. And right. I don't even know how to pronounce your username. So why do I care if you have to comment on my photo? And, and then tying this all the way back full circle, that goes for our courses that goes, but for both of our courses, like if we, you know, put this out there and not a single person buys and not a single person, you know, benefits from what we think they're going to benefit from. Like we put something out there because we believe in its inerrant value and the fact that God called us to do that thing, whether or not the fruit is money or passive income or more freedom or more, or more purpose or whatever, that isn't up to us. Like we're not the harvester. We're the worker. God's the harvest. God, God brings the harvest. And I think that. It's just, you know, it ties all the way back to even the work of your hands. And I just talked about this in my episode with um, with Maggie Combs, but the work we do has value first between us and God, and then secondarily between us and anybody else that consumes or enjoys it. So hundred percent. I, I love, love everything that you shared today. That's so helpful. And I actually think you mentioned that the husbands can listen at the end. I think the husbands need to listen to the whole episode. So I'm going to put that in the, you know, upfront. So people know, grab your husband, save this episode and listen to it with him maybe yeah, once I, by yourself. Yeah. And once again, cause I think this is super um, helpful for, for everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That, that would, that would be, if, if, if there were people who would listen to it with their spouses, that would, that would make my day. So. Absolutely. So Rocky, where can people find you online and connect with you and learn more about what you do? Yeah. So you can, um, you can connect me on after, after I just ripped it up and down, you can connect me on Instagram. Uh, it is just at Rocky Garza is my Instagram name. That's R O C K Y G A R Z A. Um, Facebook is the same. Um, but I'm probably not going to message you on Facebook cause I think it's weird. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> or you can, uh, go to my website. It's just Rocky My email is Rocky at Rocky Um, okay. yeah, always shoot me an email, catch me on Instagram, um, check out the website and then yeah, if there's ever anything that I can do for you. Answer a question. Please don't hesitate to reach out at all. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. You're so welcome. Guys, I hope that that conversation encouraged and inspired you to seek clarity, learning and understanding into who you really are. And I hope that that encourages you. I hope that 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 process and pursuit causes you to become the same person in every part of your life as a servant leader, as a respectful partner, as a key teammate, as a difference maker and engaged member of your family and community. 